0: good morning and welcome to valley lights church glad to see you all here my name is bruce wood i'm the lead pastor here and i'm excited to sing with you guys i'm also excited to look at the past three years uh barry had just mentioned that that next year or next week we're going to look at our our three-year anniversary um it's not going to be a uh a full-blown event, but we're going to take some time just in our service to look, maybe look at some fun photos from the early days <laughs> three years ago. And really, uh, it's just exciting. It's Man, for me to see what God has done in three years is, is, is a humbling thing. And uh, this morning, we're, we're starting a new series of messages, and we're going to be looking through the letter to Timothy, when Paul wrote to Timothy the second time. There's, there's a letter in the Bible called Second Timothy. And so we're going to be reading through that letter in this series, and this, the name for this series is Risk and Reward. And as we read, I want to be honest about some of the risks that come with following Jesus, because there's quite a few, as it turns out. Following Jesus is not easy. Um, there are some simple things about it, but it, it's really not easy. It's it's because it's really costly, and. Sometimes it seems like the cost of following Jesus goes up over time, you know, maybe maybe more sacrifice is required and I think A topic like this looking at this letter is going to be helpful for anybody that's exploring Christianity Exploring what it means to follow Christ what would be required? I think it's also helpful for people that are already Christians because sometimes we need to to relook at some of the the cost that we pay regularly So as a committed follower of Christ, what does the road ahead look like for you and me? What what is the long haul of being a Christian? And if we keep going, if we keep following Jesus, what what are we risking? And are all the risks and the costs and sacrifices worth it in the end? Is following Jesus worth it? And I think we calculate risk and reward all the time. And you may, maybe if you're about to make a financial investment, um, certainly if you're about to buy a house, you're, you're calculating the, the cost of that. And it's, you know, maybe there's a risk involved. will be, will there be enough reward in this purchase? I think buying a do- you know, maybe getting a dog is kind of like that too. There's, there's a lot of risk, you know, a lot of responsibility to take on your life. Maybe the reward, for some people, the reward is adequate. For me, the reward of having a dog is a lot on the lower scale. But maybe, maybe when you play a board game, you do the same thing, risk and reward. You're like, oh, if I, if I do this move, I might get a few more points, but I might have to give up a really valuable card or piece. Travel insurance is another time we're calculating risk and reward. Should I, should I add the, the travel insurance to the rental car? No, I'm, I'm a perfectly fine driver. I'm gonna have no problem at all. Um, I think another time that we calculate risk and reward is anytime an adult gets on a skateboard. You're, you're just like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to like show my kids. I'm going to be, be cool. And then, you know, there's a lot of risk anytime an adult gets on a skateboard, obviously, if you're not a professional skateboarder. But when it comes to Christianity, I think we're also constantly running risk and reward scenarios because following Jesus, it costs us a lot. There is that initial upfront decision to follow Jesus. You know, nobody's born a Christian. So everyone at some point has to decide, all right, I'm gonna I'm going go all in on him. Um, there's that initial upfront decision, but then there's a lot of daily decisions of obedience after that. It's like being a Christian is one big yes, and then a lot of little yeses every day after that. But are there corresponding rewards to all the yeses and all of those risks that we run? So, like I said, we're gonna read through 2 Timothy, And this is a letter where this is Paul's last letter. And this is a painting of what it might've looked like for him. He's at the end of his life. And it's actually, if you were to look at Paul's situation when he writes this letter at face value, it's pretty dark because all of his friends have deserted him. He's just like the crazy Christian guy that got thrown in jail again. And people are just leaving him. This is his last letter. He's probably about to be executed. And so he's, he's got some time to reflect on all of the sacrifice he put in to following Jesus. And this letter, I think, exposes numerous tensions of the faith. <clears throat> and uh, so Paul had a lot of time to think, sort through those risk and reward questions. And it would appear, like I said on Faith's Family, the, the rewards didn't pan out for Paul. Because look at who, who wants to end their life this way? Stuck in a dungeon with no friends... <laughs> He doesn't even have enough, he, he, it's winter, and he doesn't even have a coat. So he's cold, and he's about to die, like, man, this guy got ripped off, is what it seems like. But that's not how he saw it. Paul had a very influential life. Actually, it's still, his life is still influencing people greatly right now. Paul's very influential life was marked by challenge, and suffering, and struggle, and those things never gave up for him. So he, he would say, absolutely, following Jesus involves risk and sacrifice. It's to, to follow Jesus is to deliberately invite tension and discomfort into my life. And one of, the very, one of the first commands we read, I want to start in verse 8 of this letter. He's writing to Timothy, a guy who's he's hoping, and he's really hoping that Timothy keeps the faith and keeps going. So he writes to them, he says, so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me his prisoner. As Paul wrote this letter, uh, he knew Timothy was probably in danger of being ashamed of the gospel or shrinking back from openly aligning himself with Christ. Timothy may have felt exposed to some trouble or persecution, and uh, you know, Timothy knows, like, Paul got thrown in jail for his love of the gospel. He's like, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I should avoid getting thrown in jail myself. Maybe I should put some, a little bit of distance between me and Paul. Maybe if, maybe if people don't know I'm associated with him, I can maybe get out all right. Actually, a few other guys had already, had already distanced themselves from Paul. Some of, some of the other guys that were um, colleagues peeled off. And so this, this thing, when, when Paul writes, don't be ashamed. This is not a hypothetical situation. This was happening. People were peeling off. And I think, I, I, we're gonna look at this word ashamed a little bit today. I think one of the best memes or, or gifs on the internet of, of this feeling of being ashamed is is this one, is when H- Homer Simpson backs into a bush. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this on the internet. So it's like, you're in a situation, and you're like, oh shoot, I need to, I need to exit right now. And you're just like, if I can just fade in the background and nobody will notice quietly, <laughs> so you can I think if they don't change the slide, they'll just keep going for the rest of the sermon. So you can, you can go to another slide now. <laughs> um, so I'm thinking, you know, when Paul's like, don't be ashamed, he's, he's looking at Timothy. who's like, maybe, Timi- maybe Timothy's at the point where, like, you know, the heat has really turned up. Maybe if I just slowly exit backwards and just disappear, no one will see me. Maybe, maybe that will reduce some of the heat, some of the risk and the tension of following Jesus. Perhaps perhaps Timothy considered silently backing into a bush. (laughs) Well, it would seem that we risk being ashamed because following Christ makes us stick out in ways that maybe we wouldn't want to stick out. Do Christ followers run the risk of being ashamed in our world? For most people, being in the spotlight, if if the spotlight's on you, is generally an uncomfortable thing. I think... Unless, unless you have a job like mine where you're standing in front of people and talking all the time, you you probably don't like being in the spotlight. I think one of the most high-pressure places to be in the spotlight is um, in a totally different environment. If you're if you're considering athletics, probably one of the, one of the most high-pressure places is at home plate when you're up to bat and you're you're there and everyone's watching you. Like the the play is not going to happen until you take a swing. So. And I, you know, I've been on some softball teams, I've been in some softball tournaments, and um, that moment, there's a lot of pressure. Unless, unless you're amazing, I guess, and you just own, own the plate. It, there's, there's a very high potential for shaming yourself <laughs> when you're standing at home plate. There's a lot of risk and reward. The reward is maybe if I hit a home run, well then, the, ro- the rewards are pretty big for that. You know, my kids will think I'm a hero. Everyone will love me on my team. When it comes to sports, I've shamed myself plenty of times. I was playing softball and um, being very inexperienced. I was trying to catch, I was in the outfield trying to catch a ball. They would put me in right field, and if you know anything about softball, that's where you put the guys that don't know how to catch. And so so the ball came to me, and um, I put my other hand in front of the glove, which is stupid, and um, the ball broke one of my uh, bones in my hand, and I didn't realize it at first, but when I needed the cast, you know, people asked me what happened. I didn't want to tell them because I was embarrassed at, like, a bone catching a softball the wrong way, and uh, so the worst, though, the worst is, is that, that shameful situation of being at bat, and you swing, and you strike out, and that's happened to me even, you know, when the team, when, you know, family's there watching, and, you know, my kids are like, Good try, Dad. <laughs> and, you know, that, that, walk, that walk back to the dugout with no swing, that's, you know, there's, that's a shameful situation to be in. I, and I, I bring that up because I think following Christ has a way of making us stick out. Sometimes you're in a situation where the spotlight's on you, and what you think about life, what you think about issues, what you think about the Bible, what you think about Jesus, really makes a difference And people are looking and noticing and your response, I guess, in a way, is a home run or a strikeout. And I think sometimes the, the, the reason that we feel ashamed, and I think the reason that Paul writes about this idea of being ashamed, is, is sometimes we can feel ashamed, that, and it comes from certain people. Um, I would say sometimes uh, people may look at Christ followers and just have this like sense of, you know, pressure and inferiority and guilt. Because people say things about Christians and about church that Christians just want money and that's why they gather or Christians just hate people and they're not accepting and prayer is worthless. Why would you even pray about a natural disaster? Why don't you actually do something that matters? Religion started all of the wars on the planet. The Bible is suppressive to human rights. There's so many things that people might say against Bible and Christians and um, there, so there might be some heat that we start feeling over time from uh, groups of people, maybe from trends online or on the internet, or maybe even in individuals in your life. Maybe there are some people that are, are particularly hostile towards the ways of God, in your family maybe, or friends that you know, or a neighbor, in, and maybe you just feel that sense of heat and pressure coming from a person. And I think, I think there's a lot of ways that our current society tries to punish or shame Christ followers. Like, if you really take the Bible seriously, what if, you're a foolish, stupid Christian? Who would, who would do that? And so there's this, there's, those are, you know, with certain people, there's a temptation to feel shame. I think we also feel shame potentially based on certain topics. There may be certain topics that come up and um, what you really think? Like, can you say what you really think about that topic? Like, I don't know. Like, what will they, what will they think? Maybe, maybe, maybe there's times when you, when you are tempted to shrink back from openly aligning with Jesus' words on a particular issue. There's a lot of issues in our world that are going very far against the Bible. All the stuff related to gender and sexuality and abortion. There's many things that are hot and prevalent in our society that are very unpopular when you look at what the Bible says. And so maybe, maybe there's a temptation for some very unpopular commands in the Bible you wish you could just gloss over or not have to talk about those. Or maybe if it comes up, if the conversation comes up, um, hopefully nobody asks me a question about it. Sometimes we feel certain topics are a temptation to feel shame. Or being associated with godly people it might be a reason uh, we might feel ashamed. This was in the case of Paul. This is why Paul said, don't be ashamed of the gospel or of me. Jesus' prisoner. And so people didn't want to be known as Paul's buddy because then they would get the heat that Paul's getting. This happened with Peter as well. On the night of Jesus' arrest, people saw Peter like, hey, aren't you the guy that was with that guy that they called Jesus? And he denied it. He didn't want to be associated. In that moment, he did not want to be associated with Jesus because Jesus was taking a whole lot of heat. And so this, this can happen, maybe, association with godly people. Or maybe some of these feelings of shame, being ashamed, come from the lies in my own head. And some of the lies in our head are actually not thoughts that originate with us. They originate from Satan, the demonic. And sometimes the enemy will tell us, you're a fool. You're living your life in error. You shouldn't. Why, Why would you take the Bible seriously? If you obey God, you're gonna get ripped off. That's stupid. Like your prayers are not getting answered. You're, you're never going to get married. You're never going to get that healing. You're never going to get that thing. God's going to come through for you the way that you're waiting for it. God's going to leave you holding the bag at the end. And then if somebody asks you, like, hey, how can you trust a God who doesn't even answer your prayers? I mean, how do I answer that? Man, it seems foolish to keep trusting. Maybe I feel ashamed for, for living a lie. So over and over, these are just a few different categories. There's moments when Boldly, publicly aligning with Christ is going to cost us something. It would be far easier just to blend in. There may be times in your life when it would just be a lot easier if you could just slowly back into a bush, (laughs) and nobody would see you or know what you think. But verse 8, Paul says don't be ashamed of Jesus, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. So what do we do instead? If not feel ashamed, should, should we just go on the offensive then and then start attacking the people that are shaming us and we'll make them stop? Should we become reckless and obstinate and pushy? No, no, none of, those, none of those are options for us. Instead of being ashamed, here's what it says. We really are to accept the suffering that it brings. Paul says, don't be ashamed. Instead, share in the suffering for the gospel relying on the power of God. So instead of being ashamed, we take the heat. Standing with Jesus is going to invite all kinds of tension and discomfort. Sharing in suffering means being determined to stand with the Bible, even the parts that people don't like and parts that people just want to throw out. Sometimes, actually, there's parts of the Bible that even Christians want to throw out sometimes. And it means we stand with the Bible, what it says, exactly, and accept whatever trouble that brings. And it says here that God provides power to endure it. So it's kind of like, if we do, if we do this thing, we stand boldly with Jesus and with His Word, like a gift in the middle of the suffering, God supplies the power that we need to get through it. And it I think that means if we didn't rely on God's power, we wouldn't be able to endure the suffering that comes. So we're talking about God providing supernatural strength and fortitude at just the right time. Being shamed and attacked by people, it can be really intense. It it can be so intense that it requires the power of God to withstand it. So Paul writes about another, in the next verse, another powerful tool to battle feeling ashamed. And it's really to remember your eternal calling, meaning if you're a follower of Christ, there's an amazing truth that applies to you. He says in verse 9, that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. He's saying if you're a Christian, which means God has called you, he planned that out, not even, not even before you were born, before time began. So he's been, he, he's been cooking up plans for your salvation for quite a long time now. So this you, you making it on through life into eternity with Christ is something that he's been designing and planning and preparing for a very, very long time. How does it impact you to know that? For me, I'm like, this is, that's incredible to know that God has been focused on my salvation for this amount of time. It gives me some confidence. Paul goes on, he says, This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's talking about life and immortality, meaning, Christian, if you're a Christian, you are immortal. You possess eternal life permanently. The eternal life that we possess as followers of Christ can never be tarnished or damaged or taken away. He says, For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. So, our salvation was planned out before time began, and God is committed to seeing it through eternity. So, in a very powerful sense, we're untouchable, spiritually speaking. Our souls are sealed, even if our accusers and attackers attack our bodies. But even our bodies will be redeemed and resurrected in the end. You can look in 1 Corinthians 15 to see that even even this old body is going to be dramatically changed. And then one more thing that Paul does is he expresses the importance of trusting God to bring us through to the end. There's a really strong trust in the Lord that is very powerful against feeling ashamed. Paul would probably say, I'm, I'm guessing he'd, he'd probably say, you know, there's, there's tons of people trying to shame me. There's tons of people trying to pressure me and make me change my mind. But in verse 12, he writes, I, But I am not ashamed. He can say this with total boldness and confidence. I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. It's not on the screen, but he also says, Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So it's almost like Paul would say, Why, why, why would I ever feel ashamed? Even in the highest pressure moments, why would I ever feel ashamed when I know personally the God of the universe? And from this verse, we know that God himself guards our salvation. There is no greater act of confidence than for us to entrust our very souls to God. If my soul is not preserved by God, it is not going to be preserved. And so praise the Lord that he's guarding it. So when I read a verse and I I look at this imagery of um, God guarding us, it brings to mind for me, you know, military imagery or soldiers, like these images here. And... um, I, th- I think of a picture like this. I think of a, of a guard force that's unbreachable. that like nothing is getting past it. And, you know, these are soldiers and men in the uniform, which looks, you know, pretty intimidating. But think about the God of the universe himself guarding us. Just, <laughs> He's like, he's got our salvation tucked away, he's got our souls tucked away, and he's like, oh, there's nobody getting through me. Nobody's going to break through this line. I love that. I love having this utter confidence that God is going to see me through, which means my mind can be at rest. Even when the world is trying its hardest to shame me and keep on the suffering, I can be at rest. So, the reward for thinking about risks and rewards. So, you know, if you're, a, if you're going to follow Christ, you are risking being ashamed or being shamed by people. But the reward of unwavering loyalty to Christ is eternal life that can never be snatched away. So it is for everyone who's decided to follow Christ. And if you're not yet a Christian, and every every week here at Valley Lights we have people coming through our church, checking things out, exploring, that are in the process of understanding what it means to commit and to follow Christ. If, so if you're not a Christian, what are you waiting for? Join God's incredible plan. Jesus came to earth. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. And he paid so that you and I can receive life and immortality. God wants you and I to join his team. And whoever doesn't join God's team hangs back on the sidelines while God's incredible plan for redemption unfolds. If you hang back, if you don't actually cross the line of faith, Your life will be a vapor with no significant meaning and no eternal impact. It'll be a wisp, and it's gone tomorrow. That's what anyone who doesn't follow Christ, that's what our lives amount to. But to go all in for Jesus is a risk. It's costly. It invites a lot of suffering, and we have to ask, is the reward worth it? Jesus himself knew that we might give in to feeling ashamed. He knew the pressures would be great, and our desire just to kind of fade, out, fade away into a bush out of it would be great, <clears throat> causing our loyalty be, to be jeopardized. So Jesus describes the risks the risks and the rewards in his own succinct way. In Mark 8, he says, he says calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The cross that he's referring to is an instrument of torture. So when we're talking about sacrifice and suffering, Jesus is saying, you will suffer if you follow me. And you'll have to actually take it up, (laughs) like voluntarily take it up yourself. And he says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? If we're thinking strictly in terms of risk and reward, the question is which reward do you want? We can have. You know, maybe the options are, I can grab the, the, the reward right now of the fleeting, unsatisfying rewards that the world has to offer, or the glorious reward of heaven that lasts for eternity. And then Jesus, he, this statement, he finishes this idea with a very alarming thought. He says, For whoever, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus gives us a picture into the end when he comes back because he's coming back. And I I don't think, I don't think when Jesus said this that it was in a spiteful, threatening way. Like, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you and just like, you know, sticking it to you. I actually, I think he said this as an appeal for us to really seriously consider who we side with. The reality, if we, if we've, don't ever fully embrace Him, that's amount to being ashamed of Him. If we fail to take a strong stand with Jesus and with the Bible, then He will not take a stand with us. I don't think it's really meant to be a threat so much as an explanation of how life will really end. And I think it's very easy to feel pushed around by the threats that the world places on us. There's a really strong pressure for us to conform to popular opinion. The Bible is generally not amid popular opinion. Um, perhaps there's a temptation to feel ashamed for taking Jesus too seriously. I don't know if you ever were like, man, they're they're like they're like way overboard, too serious about the Bible. Like they they take it way too seriously. Maybe 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 that's been said. But I think, I think there's an irony to all this talk of being ashamed. You know, in, in this whole message so far, I, I was thinking like, oh, there's this temptation to feel ashamed of Jesus. I think the ironic thing is if anyone should be ashamed, I think God should be ashamed of us. <laughs> if you really think about it, I mean, let's be honest. What do I bring to the table? The only thing that I contribute to my salvation is my sin. That's it. He saves us, and then we still blow it. Like, man, we struggle with unfaithfulness to God day after day. If anyone should be ashamed, it should be him of us. But incredibly, he's not. Jesus gave a picture of of when it does come into play, but right now he's not. In Hebrews, it talks about some of the people who put their faith in God. And here's what it says. Those followers... They, they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is written about imperfect sinners. We're imperfect sinners, and he offers us eternal life. And then he guards that salvation himself. And if that wasn't enough, he prepares a good and glorious city for us to live in with him forever. So those of us who go all in with Jesus... I'm throwing in everything I got. I'm standing. You know, if Jesus is on this side of the line, I'm just going 100% on that side with him In his words, the Bible, come what may. For those of us to do that, we're in the minority. Most people won't do that in the end. Paul discovered this. The majority of his colleagues got ashamed and left Paul hanging, except for one guy. And he writes about it. This is the next verse. We we're tracking through the first chapter of, of 2 Timothy, and it goes to verse 15 here. He says, You know that all those in the province of Asia have deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. But there's another guy. He says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of one Sapphira, because he often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he diligently searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he obtained mercy from him on that day. You know very well how much he ministered at Ephesus. There's this guy with a, hard, with a name that's really hard to say, like One Sephorus or Aunt Sephorus. and there's really nothing else said about him except for this one thing, but I love this guy. <laughs> this, this guy was like a little pocket of unexpected blessing in Paul's life, in a very dark time of Paul's life. There was a guy who was faithful, who is willing to risk being ashamed for Jesus. And I love this guy because I have friends like this here. I have some guys that are willing to put their own life and their own reputation on the line for the cause of Christ. And I think it's really, really helpful for us to find men and women to link arms with who will not compromise on one word of scripture. So take courage. There are still people who are willing to take on suffering rather than being ashamed, and do some good work for the kingdom of God. I have a few suggested next steps you might take as you think about this message. This is, these are some hard words. This is, you know, we're, we launched into 2 Timothy. It's kind of an intense letter. So this is an intense topic, but here's some next steps you might consider. Memorize 2 Timothy 1.7. This is a verse written on your handout that uh, comes right before the passage we read today. And Paul says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. I think this is helpful because really at, at the root of it, when we're feeling ashamed, we want to back into a bush and become invisible, not let people know what we think. Really, I think at the root of that is fear. God has not given us a, a spirit of fear. So you might memorize that verse to help you. Um, another next step might be to decide to put your faith fully in Jesus for the very first time. Maybe you've been thinking about it, you've been wrestling with it, and maybe it's time to align yourself with him. If you want to do that, let us know on your connection card, or, or if you're not entirely sure how to do that, write that down in your card so we can help, help you know how to do that. And then, and the third, another next step, and this is a really hard one, for those of you that are already Christ followers, willingly trust God if he leads me through suffering. Really, not a question of if you will suffer, but when. In fact, you might be suffering already. There's a lot of different kinds of suffering. Um, Next week, and that is as Paul goes more through this letter, he does talk a little bit more about this. And so, the kinds of things that we do suffer as Christians, we'll talk a little bit more. Maybe that's the next step for you to begin preparing your mind and your heart to trust God if He leads you through that. So, that that risk of suffering, there's like this really big risk that Christ followers take that, that they're exposed to. We're going to look at next week in the second chapter of 2 Timothy. You can, you can read ahead if you want, but there, you're going to see there's an even more amazing reward if you take that risk. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for gathering us today and allowing us um, the, so far the rain and the winds has not stopped us from being able to gather on this day. And thank you for your, your guidance, your protection to allow us to be here now. And I also do want to just take a moment um, just to pray for your help uh, with those that have been affected by the hurricane today or they may um, over the next 24 hours. I pray that you would limit damage and destruction, bring protection and healing to those that need it, and that anybody that deals with fear or loss, that this would be an opportunity for them to turn to you and put their hope and their reliance on you. I pray that we would do that as well in our individual lives and our situations here, as we wrestle with the words of Jesus, which are very, they're very direct. I pray that you'd give us the courage to trust you with our whole hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.